The one thing I liked is that you said you actually approached this as an audio book before, you know, before looking at it as like a just a regular textbook, which I thought was cool. Oh, yeah, that was definitely the case because I had done Nina Kimberly the Merciless, which, of course, was a print, you know, it's prose novel first. But because I enjoyed doing the audiobook so much, I started thinking about, well, okay, that's an adaptation of something from its original form into audio. If I know that I want to do something in an audio form, why not experiment with the some of the forms that are really best suited for audio? Yeah, definitely. So did you actually turn Space Casey into a traditional book after the audio, or did you just leave it as audio? Um, I actually did a script book that was released in print, but it wasn't as prose. It was really just the scripts. Okay. Um, um, and that was self-published uh, through Lulu. Oh, yeah. um, and, it, um, and, and you could buy it on Amazon for a while, but uh, um, uh, basically it, it had all sorts of like puzzles and illustrations and stuff too, making it like an activity book, which, cool. was fun, which was fun. But I'm going to jump in here real quick. Um, this is too good of content to throw away, and I'm going to do the intro here. We'll, we'll, okay. we'll <laughs> start from a little earlier on, but uh, hello, everybody, and welcome to the Hacker Public Radio Audio Book Club. Um, sorry, this episode has been such a long time in coming. It's been, what, like two years since we recorded one, and people have been on my case to get back to it and get these done, so I have no one to blame but myself, and uh, oh yeah, and the rest of the community who didn't do one without me, because you're free to do so on Hacker Public Radio, but no, that's uh, my fault for not, for not jumping in and doing doing it. Um, we have tonight a very special guest. We have Christiana Ellis, who is the author of Space Casey, which is the book that we chose for the book club two years ago <laughs> when uh, when this all fell off and I take full responsibility for. Um, so this is, is really, really fun. And that's, uh, that's who you heard speaking with Jonathan. We also have Jonathan Nadu. Howdy, howdy. And sorry, Christiana, go ahead and say hello so people recognize your voice. Hello. And I'm Pokey, as you guys uh, may know, and we got Brome. Howdy, people. So, uh, yeah, the book that we were su supposed to have listened to at this point was uh, Christiana Ellis's Space Casey, which is available. Uh, it's free to download on patiobooks.com. Um, we've just been made aware that it's, uh, is it still, Christiana, is it still available for purchase on Lulu? Um, it is, although I'll I'll have to get the uh, the link together. It's it's on Lulu, and for a while I I had the affiliate thing to uh, so you could buy it from the Amazon storefront too. But then that disappeared, and I haven't gone to the effort of figuring out how to get it back yet. Okay, but and if people like it enough and want to throw some cash at you, they can still donate through patiobooks.com. Is that correct? Yes, that's definitely correct. Right on. Okay, um, and Jonathan, do, are you aware that you're echoing back just a little bit? I'll fix that. Give me one second. All right, right on. And it's only when you key up when other people are talking. I don't know if you're aware of it or not. All right, so the way that the audiobook club works is um, we on the show, we've all listened to the audiobook, but we understand that the listeners may not have. So we go through uh, and say whatever we can say about the book without spoiling anything. Then we take a short break where we each review uh, a beverage of our own choice, whatever we brought. Some folks like to bring a, a beer or a glass of wine. Some folks like a cup of coffee or tea. 
we do that review and then after the beverage review we go into the book with as many spoilers as we feel like so that's fair warning uh, to anybody who hasn't listened to the book and doesn't want any spoilers before they do um, that will come after the beverage review one question yes sir is the fact that the book takes place in space a spoiler or not uh, I think it's in the title we'd, we'd have to go to the, the expert on this one uh, well, it's one of two words in the title, um, so it's about as much of a spoiler as saying that the main character's name is Casey. Fair enough. So, I will start off by saying I loved this book. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I'm in my mid-30s, and I still have not gotten over the young adult fiction genre. I, it's still one of my favorite, especially sci-fi. I just... I... I loved you know hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy and that type of thing and this is the same kind of mood that this book puts me in uh well you know that is uh things like hitchhiker's guide is definitely one of the um big inspirations for what i wanted to do you know that and there's the Discworld series which is fantasy of course but that same kind of idea that you can have you know genre fiction but also have it be funny Oh yeah, I, Discworld is something I have to get into. I I saw the TV adaptation of Going Postal there, and it was absolutely hilarious. We loved that. But just and the other thing I loved about this is this is something I can listen to with my family. I don't have to worry about um, you know inappropriate topics or language coming up. I can listen to this with the kids, put it on the car, and I just I I loved it for that as well. Well, one thing I would say about that is it's it's certainly PG-13. Yeah, you're right. It is PG-13. There were those two little bits in there that um, that got PG-13. We can talk about those after the, the beverage review. Um, yeah. It's in, oh, no, no, go ahead. I was just going to say it was interesting that you kind of um, called out the idea of, of young adult because I, I don't really – think of this particular story as being a young adult story certainly Casey herself is not you know she's she's an adult but I do kind of think of the tone as being a little bit like the young adult hero is now 33 right I got that feeling I though I wouldn't call her quite a hero either <laughs> well protagonist then sure sure no I, yeah, I, guess... I, I was just gonna say I I, I like the you know it, it's it has that outer, you know, outer space feel to it, but it doesn't get like, you know, totally geeky with sort of like space things. But it has, you know, it has that in it. But I love, you know, the humor and also just the, you know, the sarcasm from Casey and everything. It's it it it, it was pretty funny. Well, thanks. Yeah, I actually, I really enjoyed this book. I we I had listened to it the two years ago when we were going to do this, and it, it seems kind of weird. It's like it's long overdue, but I ended up, ended up grabbing it and listening to it again, and I really enjoyed it. Even though I knew where everything was going to go, I had forgotten some pieces, and it was still a very enjoyable ride. It's interesting to hear that you say that you didn't really intend this as young adult, but it sort of en did it sort of end up that way, or is it just something that's like, well, you know, we it wasn't your intention at all. It's just that's the way you write. I really think it is kind of the latter. I mean, it, I I didn't set out to write it as young adult or not young adult. It was really just kind of the story as it came to me. But I have kind of uh, – I've been told before that uh, other things that I write, even when the main character is not a young adult, uh, I guess it's just kind of part of the tone of how I write kind of uh, comes across as with a young adult feel. 
is it just you? Do you just like, are you kind of just PG-13 as you wander through life? You're not just maybe as crude as the rest of us. Uh, I like to think it's because I'm emotionally immature. Oh, okay. there you go. That, that's a good answer. Oh, man. I was, I was going to say, like, man, we're going to have to really tone down our language after the beverage break. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, now, I, I thought Casey was funny, but I think it's commendable as well, you being the voice of Casey, that you let Al steal the show in every scene he was. Al cracked me up. Al was the, the AI, and I don't think that's a spoiler to say that, the computer. Uh, yeah, so he, he shows up pretty soon. He's really the second lead of the story. Yeah, and just the way that you bounce that dialogue off of each other. Now, did you write everything in the book? Was there any ad-libbing at all, or was this all straight out of you? Um, there is just a little bit of ad-libbing, but usually it's just kind of um, the voice actor had a, a slightly different variation on a line or something like that. But by and large, I, I wrote the scripts. And so what I what I told my voice actors was that uh, please give me uh, at least two different takes with it as it's written. But then if you have some other ideas, go for it. But by and large, um, usually the only things that are not what I originally wrote are just, you know, minor variations on the line. Um, and as far as uh, giving Al all the good lines, I mean, well, part of that is just because, you know, I, I because I wrote the whole thing, it, you know, didn't really feel like I'm giving the good lines away. It's more that uh, I, I wanted the banter and it just sort of came out that way that it, it's funnier to have the artificial intelligence be the one that's much more melodramatic and histrionic. <laughs> Yee! <laughs> yeah, I don't remember his name because I tended to skip the credits, unfortunately. You know, I'll admit to that. Um, but he was really expressive. I mean, I, I had a feeling that you were trying to be the more of the, the straight man, the, the, the character that everybody kind of bounces off of. There's a bit of a, a thing that happens to, to... A lot of things happen to Casey, and a lot of stuff she ends up pulling, you know, but it was, it was, Al was allowed to be more melodramatic, more histrionic, more expressive, and for the most part, that was good. There were a couple parts where it was just like, ah, that's really annoying, or it hurt my ears a little bit. <laughs> yeah, and, and I thought that Casey's lines, when there were lines, that dry humor was just so consistent and well-placed. It, it never felt forced to me or like oh this this scene was written just for that punchline it just felt it fell in there naturally and I, I really enjoyed Casey's lines as well I loved all of her lines well thanks uh you know Wesley Clifford is the uh the voice actor who played Al and uh I I had heard him on a podcast that he did called Planet Retcon Radio um I don't think they've put out anything recently but they were certainly running when I originally produced this and uh i thought he was great on there and so i had started writing the story but i hadn't finished it yet and certainly towards the end i was really writing it with him in mind so it was great that he was willing to and able to uh, actually play it and uh i can also happily say that he he will be back in uh, season two which is in production now excellent um now you may not know him but for these other two guys did did he remind you at all of Chess Griffin? Because I thought when he was speaking flat, his voice reminded me a lot of Chess Griffin. A tiny bit. I could see that now that you mention it. Okay. We, 
we would just need Al to start talking about the file system and, you know. <laughs> yeah, right on. Yeah, Chess Griffin uh, did a podcast that's, you know, for Linux users, it's like a must-have. He did 100 episodes and covered everything he needed to cover in 100 episodes, and it's just, it uh, it was perfect. What can you say? But Chess is, is awesome, and he, he just reminded me of Chess a lot, which probably helped me to fall in love with it. Well, helping to remind you of anything else that's awesome is uh, is a plus, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, now, how about the, uh, and not to mention uh, Grant Pachoco, who did all the uh, Dr. Um, oh, shoot, what was those podcasts? The Radio Adventures of Dr. Floyd. Yes, Dr. Floyd. Yes, Grant, that he was, that was a great podcast for the kids. When my kids were younger, we found that right on time. They We used to love listening to that together. And hearing Grant was excellent. Uh, yeah, he was a lot of uh, a lot of fun too. Um, I've met him in person a couple of times, but uh, you know, uh, I uh, almost all of the recording in Space Casey was done remotely. Um, but he was certainly one that it would have been lots of fun to be there together in person. Yeah, and he's a big get as is you know as far as podcasters go. Yeah, he's super busy all the time, and so I was so glad that he was willing to uh, do it. Bro, I see Flash in there. Oh, um, sorry. That was external stuff. I was just going to add that, um, do we want to start talking about technical stuff for a bit? Like all the background sound effects, or do you want to keep going on about voice actors? Oh, yeah. I was just about to ask that. Please, go ahead. Okay. Well, I mean, one of the, the really nice things about it, even though I, I actually take some issue with it, it was good because there were audio cues as to where people were. There wasn't. It wasn't just disembodied voices in the middle of nowhere there was a sense that you're on the ship you hear a certain background noise and you're on you're on this scene you hear this noise and it's that sort of thing so you get this background of where people are the the one problem that i had especially with the ship noise is that it was so it, it got a little annoying after a while and i think that was probably just a you know i think any noise that it's on that long in any volume is going to get annoying after a while but once you switch to the inner monologues it's like oh it stopped well you know it's uh, i in some ways the format kind of requires some of that now that's not to say that it couldn't be done without it but partly because this is more like a radio play uh, than a novel. I don't have any of that descriptive stuff that says, and then they walked into the galley area of the shuttle. Uh, so I really have to convey that through audio somehow. Um, and so I was trying to have the various different soundscapes to help uh, convey that. And uh, I did certainly learn some lessons uh, over the course of the production, and there are a couple in there that uh, I, I tend to agree with you. When I listen back now is that there was a couple – like um, in particular, I think the background when she's in the the prison cell, um, that one bugs me a little bit when I listen to it now. Huh? I didn't get bothered by any of that. I have to step away now for a little bit while we plow the driveway. Um, it shouldn't take too long, I hope. But um, you know, uh, pretend I'm here, I guess, to make fun of me while I'm gone. Whatever you like. Okay. Perfect. Yeah, I, I I like you know I myself like like we said before the show I'm blind I I appreciated the you know the uh, the sound you know the different sounds that were in the various you know parts of the ship or the, the different scenes that just gave you know my mind's eye uh, a way to you know imagine you know a different part of the ship or you know wherever they were like in, whether it be in the jail cell or when you know Casey ran on the stage at that like concert or whatever so it was uh, I I thought I. 
With me, though, I tend to, I can sort of block some of those things sometimes. So I did notice the spaceship sound, but after a while, it just became sort of in the background and I didn't even notice it after a while. But I, I thought it was all, it was all really done well. And it, I guess, again, it comes back to how we mentioned that you thought of this as an audio book before you, you even, you know, ventured out to put it down on text. So, you know, I, it was well thought out. Well, thanks. And so, like I said, I mean, even as I wrote it, I didn't ever write any of that descriptive language that, you know, described any of the scenes visually or um, any of the actions like that. It was really just wrote it like like the script of a play where it has dialogue and it has sound effect cues. Um, and that's all that's in the, the script. So it's like a stage direction then sort of. Yeah, really, uh, that's, that is kind of what it is. And it's partly just because that really was kind of how I thought of it. And in fact, actually, when I did the script book, and I was working with um, a really excellent uh, web comic artist uh, named Steph Cherrywell to do illustrations, um, uh, they were a little bit frustrated with me occasionally because they would say, okay, so what did this alien look like? And I'm like, uh, I don't know. I, I, know, I know what they sound like. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, sorry, bro. Well, I was going to say another impressive thing, like with the various voice actors, you managed to get a pretty like consistent sort of sound. I don't want to say sound quality. That's not the word I'm looking for, but a, a, a consistency between all the various voice actors. And I'm sure, you know, they, they have all various, you know, recording equipment and whatnot. It was pretty good that you were able to put a, a lot of it together and, and sync it very nicely. Oh, thanks. Um, there's actually a little bit of a trick to that. Um, and I don't mean to, uh, imply that it's just my audio production skills, although I did work at it. Um, but what I mean is that if you listened to all of the raw recordings, they would probably sound more different than you expect. But part of the nature of the way the script works is that a lot of the time people are actually communicating with each other, like over ship communications or over the little radio or uh, in some other uh, form of separation. And there's not as many scenes where the characters are actually all in the same room without any kind of modification. And so that I think helped cover some of the places where the audio recordings might've had slightly different background sounds or whatever. Oh yeah, that's, that's true. I didn't take that into consideration. I'm realizing that that is a really good way of, of covering up that sort of like desync. Cause normally when you're standing in front of somebody, you get a, a sense uh, whether you know when they're done, you know when they're done speaking, and that's a little harder over the internet, especially with latency. I mean, mumble it's not so bad. You you notice we're not really keying up over each other too much, but you know with recording you can't have any of that at all. And the fact that it, it's like a message and there's that over and out ten four like that CB radio type um, that was the sense I, I'm getting of it now, where you're not going to talk over each other because one person transmits and then the other person processes that and then responds. Oh, well, I actually should uh, correct you on one thing then. Uh, all of these were not recorded simultaneously at all. Like everyone recorded their own lines in a vacuum and then I edited it all together afterwards. Ah, uh, okay. But just in terms of like different room sound or if someone had a fan in the background or something like that, uh, it helped to cover that when it's already the case where they're talking on the radio between two different ships. Yeah, the only the only scene I can that I can think of is when uh, was was the name Hacksaws came on on the ship and he had his you know thug with him. Hit that that robot voice I can't remember his name. His voice was the only one that was like 
a little garbled and I'm wondering, I don't know if it came across the way you wanted it to or not, but it seemed like a little too far in the background. You couldn't really make him out too clearly. Yeah, um, that actually was my voice. <laughs> um, I was using a, a vocoder. I wanted it to sound like the old school Cylons, but I, I agree I didn't quite nail it. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you could tell we, what was trying to happen, but it just seemed like, like, it, it, you know, just the volume in general, it seemed like a little, a little too far back. I know you're trying to give, you know, give it, make it seem like, you know, he was behind Haxorus and, you know, he was there to kind of protect him or whatever, but he, he seemed like he was standing a little too far back from him, that's all. Oh, believe me, if we want to talk about audio nitpicks, when I re-listen to it, there's a billion of them. Oh, yeah, I'm sure you can find every little thing, you know, especially, you know, going through it over and over again and putting stuff together. Um, well, yeah. Go ahead. I'll yield. I was just going to say, uh, the the production of this, just like any work of fiction or probably really any creative endeavor whatsoever, it's like that old saying about they're never finished, they're only abandoned. Yeah, ex exactly. <laughs> oh, I was going to say that I had a, a handyman over all day, and we covered up a lot of stuff. And there's this whole thing about is with a house for sale. It's like you have you you want to get the, the the small stuff, but not like the really fine detail. And there comes a point where it's like, yeah, no one looks at that. I mean, they want to make sure there's no cracks in the the paint. And there's no you know cracks in in between the walls, but like they're not going to look every single place. They're not going to look everywhere. They just want something where you scan it initially. And it's like, and so you may see a million glaring errors, Christiana, or like little things that you would have corrected, but the rest of us aren't even going to notice. Yeah. Well, and I do take some comfort in that. It's just it's usually one of those things where I remember making the decision at the point where it's like, okay, well, I decided to change the line, but then when I went in to re-record it, the audio doesn't quite match, and I did the best I could, but at some point I had to just say, okay, well, that's got to be good enough. I'm moving forward, but I listen back to it now, and I say, oh, but it doesn't match, and then you're right. Probably no one else even notices. I can't say I did, or if I did, I was too engrossed in the story, and I was like, eh, you know, like minor technical errors are going to be forgiven. You already had that suspension of disbelief. Well, good. That That is what I was hoping. <laughs> so then, Brom, do you want to get into sort of like what Space Casey is at all now? Like we covered kind of the technical stuff. Do you want to get into the actual book now? Oh, no. I was going to wait for Pokey. Or at least I can. I figure we can milk this for about five to ten more minutes. And, oh, yeah. You know, if I, Pokey's going to be Pokey, then that's his problem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah I, I mean, I can still talk about the technical stuff. That's no problem. Yeah, one of the problems that I had with, uh, I think it was the, the sergeant or the cop. I don't remember her name off the top of my head. But Officer her, Juber. Yeah, Juber. That's what it was. Her, the the echo and the, it was like a pre-echo almost the way it sounded. I used to do music a long time ago. And it was just, it was really hard to understand individual words. I mean, you got the gist of what she was saying, but it, she was tough to decipher at times. Yeah, I think the, the accent plus the vocal effect that I did, it wasn't always as clear as it maybe ideally would have been. Um, it was a, a pre-echo in the sense that um, what I did was I, I reversed the audio and then added an echo and then reversed it again. Um, it's a little bit like the, uh, uh, the you know, poltergeist from the other <laughs> through the portal voice. Yeah, in, in my mind, I was picturing her with like, not necessarily a helmet, but like some type of like mask or whatever that was over her mouth, and like that was producing, you know, with her accent and you know with the effect from like the mask, whatever. That's how I was picturing it in my mind what was you know causing her to sound like that. Um, I kind of had in my head that uh, she was like an energy being of some kind that uh, 
you know, I didn't, you know, actually put any of that in the audio, but that's what I had in my head. Okay, yeah, I could see that too. Yeah, I think some other uh, sci-fi stuff, I want to say StarCraft, I think they've done stuff like that where energy beings kind of sound like that. So maybe that's where you're getting that from, or I don't know. Well, part of it too is just, I was, you know, I, I wanted a lot of the different characters to be obviously alien because that's part of the whole story is that Casey is having to deal with all of these uh, crazy things that she's not used to. She is essentially the only human in the entire story other than the dock worker that Scott Sigler plays. So I kind of just wanted a lot of the other characters, if they weren't, if their voice wasn't weird already, I wanted to do something to it to just make sure it was really obvious that they're an alien. That was another thing I liked in in the you know throughout the story is when this might this might be sort of getting into the book a little, but I liked how when Al would change Casey, she would be like, "What what, what am I? What is you know?" And she would describe like what she looked like. I thought that was cool how you you went ahead and did you know you described like what Al just changed Casey into, so you can kind of picture you know something in your mind while uh, you know they're going through the scene. Um, those were some of the the few occasions where I had details that I could actually give the illustrator. Yeah, and, and you had some fun with uh, some of the, I, I want to say, like, bodily parts. Like, oh, yeah, those are just your hind arms. Yeah. Oh, oh don't worry. Your kidney's wireless right now. <laughs> I think wireless kidneys is the is the one line that I've gotten the most feedback on in the whole thing. Yeah, that's pretty funny. <laughs> you're just like, what? And you're like, wait, that's cool. And then you're like, oh, okay, that's a little improbable. Well, also just the idea that that would be described as cosmetic. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I don't actually even remember quite where that came from. Um, it it was just something that I I was trying to have. I mean, it, exactly. I know it's kind of just explaining the joke, but I was looking for something like that, which is a way to say that Al has made more significant changes than she expected, and to have it be weird in a sci-fi way. Yeah, and what was funny is like to Al, it's it's no big deal. Like he was just like, ah, you know, you have a wireless kidney, so what? Well, for a, a, um, an AI, you know, having a part be wirelessly attached is not a big stretch. Yeah, one of the things I I, I had a lot of fun with in writing Al was his consistent um, lack of understanding of how biological organisms work. I think you did a very good job of that. That was something that was like, Al doesn't really understand. He's like, I need to see how it moves. I need to see this. And, and, and there was, that was a bit of the fat, you know, well, okay, that's a spoiler. Um, <clears throat> so I'm glad I caught myself, but it, he definitely does not understand biologicals. Well, and really, why would he? You know, except of course that it's his job and he uses the cosmetic synthesizer all the time. Jonathan, I think it's beverage time. Okay. You, you want to go first, Brom, or? I'm actually going to be driving here soon because um, I'm taking my wife to the gym. I said I was going to go to the gym, so I'm actually drinking a big old bottle of nothing. Ah, okay. You know, it's wonderful. No calories. You know, tastes great. Less filling. All that fun stuff. Yeah, I don't have anything exciting this time around. The um, I just had some coffee earlier, and I think I think it's just Starbucks coffee. Like not bought from the, you know, not from Starbucks itself. Just like a bag of coffee. I uh strictly drink iced coffee even though you know even if i live in new england and it gets you know five below zero or whatever i strictly drink iced coffee so every night or so i basically brew a whole pot of coffee throw it in the pitcher put it in the fridge and the next morning i have you know cold coffee and people wonder you know why do you drink iced coffee all the time and that's because 
when it's cold, you can drink iced coffee at will, and if you have to, you can, you know, slam as much as you need to. That, and you can just go outside. You don't actually need to use the freezer, you know. Exactly. I could just leave it out in the, out in the snow. We probably have, after at the past few weeks, we got to have like 18 inches or two feet. Oh, it's crazy, right? Got another couple inches today. They sent me home early from my office. Yeah, we got at least another six to eight today. So it was just like, oh man, like my wife was just telling, I was like, how much you know snow do we have in the backyard? And she was like, well, our patio set, the chairs for the patio set, the snow is over the armrest. So all you can see is like the very back of the chair. That's it. We have snow, but most of it's melting. Melting? I didn't know snow does that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm just south of the Mason-Dixon line, so. Yeah, I have I have family in Charlotte, and they got like 11 inches, but it was like gone in two days because you know I got like 60 or 70, and boom, snow's gone. I, I have a little corgi, and her legs are not very long, so she has to stick to the paths where people have already kind of tromped the snow down and made a trail. Yeah, she, she, he or she would definitely be covered if uh, they they fell in. Um, well, so I have a beverage, too, because I was told that this was a thing. Um, I got Flying Cauldron Butterscotch Cream Soda. Ooh. Uh, I got it from the Whole Foods because um, I like butterscotch. Um, it is not sugar-free. But it it is made, you know, it's got cane sugar. It was from Whole Foods, so it's got all the, you know, the uh, natural ingredients, all of that. You know, like natural caramel, natural stevia, apparently. Oh, you mean there's no there's no MSG? I mean, what good is that? <laughs> there is, however, vanilla extract. And oh, okay. uh, the, smell, the smell is very, you know, butterscotch reminiscent, I guess. Um, the taste is a little different, but it's good. You know, I, I would say it doesn't quite taste like eating a butterscotch candy but you know it does taste good it's kind of just a cream soda nice do you get uh other types of that brand of soda normally um i haven't usually i'm a diet coke girl oh okay but i wanted something fancy for this yeah there you go yeah unfortunately i didn't come fancy normally i'd I'd probably have a beer or something but i didn't have anything uh this time around Usually I'm either hard liquor or tea, but neither of those is really good for long trips. So, all right, spoilers. Spoilers. Well, before before I I I, I don't know if this is necessarily a spoiler, but the one thing that I, I really liked about the story is, you know, Casey is uh, an Earthling, and the the whole outer space is like protecting these these Earthlings that are. You know, they're, it, it almost seems like they're coddling them and they don't, you know, the, oh, the poor little earthlings, we have to protect them because they, they can't handle anything out here and let's let's keep them in their shelter. But, you know, when Casey comes out into outer space and she's like, you know, sort of like lying or misleading and I was like, well, what, what are you doing? Like, it seems like no one's ever like everyone's like, you know, straight arrow in, in outer space. And Casey just knows how to sort of manipulate every system so she can uh, get what she wants out of it. Yeah, you know, she's not the the only one in the wider galaxy that um can, will do that stuff. Like if Haxor, of course, does his uh, you know, his illegal software mods. You have the uh the government official who was willing to take a bribe uh or, you know, sexual favors at least. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um and uh so she's not the only one, but certainly it seems like um uh there's a lot of people unprepared for her, but I think, of course, ultimately, 
it's it's her skill set as that that allows her to see through what the old the old ones shtick at the end. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, my whole thing was like, oh yeah, of course Casey will be able to see this because she can spot a con. That was the whole thing. I also caught a lot of that off of the uh, doctor in the medical bay where he kept like trying to add on extra sale. Oh yeah, let me upgrade that. Let me give you this. You know, Come back for your monthly checkup. Like It seemed like you know, everywhere she runs, like she runs into a lot of rubes and then later she starts to run into a lot of con men. Yep, the uh, the the doc was a, a fun character to write too. Uh, that was uh, played by an old friend of mine who uh, um, he's actually does hasn't done any other voice acting, but uh, I do uh, other nonfiction podcasts with him. But I I just knew he could pull off the, uh, the rapid fire sales talk. Yeah, no, another scene that I liked that was pretty funny was the first sort of con Casey pulled when they found that. Um... Uh, I can't remember what it's called now, like, but like that storage unit floating out in outer space and she was going to get it. And that husband and wife were trying to drag it in. And so Casey's like, oh, no, no, I'm I'm supposed to get 50,000 credits for that. And, you know, the wife's telling the husband, let me take over. I know what I'm doing. And so the wife's like, we're getting a deal. We're, we'll give her the 25,000 and then we'll get 50 for it. And it was just funny to that, you know, the wife's like, oh, I, I got this under control. My husband's a pushover and, and I'll, I'll take control of this. And, uh, and, you know, in the end, she's the one getting the hood pulled over her eyes. Yeah. Uh, that any, uh, anyone who's a student of, uh, con artists, um, I, I, I wouldn't say I'm a student in the sense that I follow their teachings as much as I'm, you know, I like con artist stories, but that is actually, uh, a take on a very classic con known as the pigeon drop. Oh, okay. Um, the the usual way the pigeon drop goes is like you might say it's a briefcase full of money that that uh, you 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 uh, you like. So the con artist will pretend to accidentally find along with someone else, um, and then they have to basically say, "Well, we have to figure out what we can do with this um, briefcase full of money." Um, so that it's fair, so that we can uh, split it up with everybody. And like, you know, it was done at a time where like the bank would have been closed or something. So you, you have to hold on to it until then. But the the con artist can't stay. But he also doesn't trust the guys to, you know, the the mark to to hold on to it and have it be fair. And so eventually what you have uh, happen is the uh, the mark pays the con artist for their half in order to keep the briefcase, but then at some point you switch out the briefcase for one that's not got all the money in it. Oh, okay. Yeah, so they're left with a big, um, basically a, a box full of nothing, and you con man absconds with the money. Well, yeah. But, what's funny? What's funny is that that you know at the end of the book, um, case uh, not Casey's, but uh, I can't remember the character's name that Casey stole the ship from. Flang. Um, Feeblo. Feeblo, yes, thank you. Where Feeblo's boss ended up paying the fifty thousand credits for that empty thing at, at the end to those people, right? Is that how that went down? Yes, um, I I liked that. Part of that came just from uh, there was a point where I was a little bit concerned that um, people would uh, not want Casey to have really stolen, effectively stolen all that money from from them, and so just adding this little detail that ties into. The the Feeblo's boss Karstu being a little bit dim, and then also just like government waste. The idea that oh he he just paid them before, and, he, and he's like oh it seemed like a little steep, but I went ahead and did it. Yeah, that that was funny. <laughs> yeah, that actually was 
<clears throat> that was pretty good because I was expecting like, oh yeah, what you know, how are you going to tie up this loose end? And it was like, oh, he paid them. That's great. Yeah, it's just funny how he's so nonchalant. He's like, yeah, you know, like like Christian just said, yeah, I just paid him. It was a little steep, but you know, whatever. I expensed it naturally. What were some of the other good cons? I know there was the, um, you know, the the pigeon drop was that one. I think that was in chapter four. There was obviously the uh, the I the the soothsayer divining your future where she steals Feeblo's ship. Um, was that um, like a? Go on. Uh, there were, weren't really a lot of other ones. Like uh, there was the effectively the their version of the Nigerian email scam that um, she and Al talk about, but never pays off. Um, that you know they were just sending that out before they came across the uh, the uh, shipping container. Um, other than that, there's not a lot of other cons. Just because, really, I mean, Casey is a very reactive character in this particular story because she's just she's thrust into this world she doesn't understand. So she's kind of just having to uh, deal with whatever she can at any given moment. Yeah, there's the one scene where, you know, up until this point, you kind of think, all right, well, Casey's obviously going to do whatever she has to do to, you know, to get back home. She's, you know, pretty quick witted, thinks on her feet. Um, but then when when Haxorus comes and, you know, they they make the deal and he gets into the computer, he starts programming stuff. And he's like, OK, so the first thing I'm doing is, you know, putting in this override thing. But the second thing I'm doing, you're basically going to have to wipe the system and, and you know, to, to for this one to take effect. And before Hacksaws did that, I was like, Casey, don't let him race me. Don't let him race me. And, you know, Casey's like, don't, don't worry. I'm not going to let him. You'll be fine. And so after Casey finds out, she's, you, you kind of see like, okay, maybe Casey won't do everything she has to do because she, you know, what she was worried about having to wipe Al. And so she didn't even tell him that that was even an option. And, uh, you know, then there was an, another thing within that Hacksaw scene where, you know, she ended up getting the deal for half the price. But um, it was just good to see that th there was a, a limit to how far Casey would go. Yeah, Casey is not full out evil or even really completely amoral. She's more just cynical. Yeah, um, yeah. And so I think I, I I like to think that she was even not 100 percent sure that she wouldn't eventually do it. Because just the nature of how it was all set up, she really could have done it at any time if she changed her mind. And I think that her hesitation was sort of just enough to make her say, well, I don't have to do it now. I can hold that into reserve if I need it. But I think she she has a complex relationship with her own emotions when it comes to that sort of thing. Yeah, I think one of the things that helped her with sort of you know holding back as long as she could was – when he was kind of putting Al in like that standby mode, Al's character or his, you know, what was Al, the essence of Al disappeared and he started, you know, to sound like a, a, a computer that would talk. And she was like, ooh, creepy. Like, you know, and I think she saw a little bit of a taste of what Al would be like if he was erased and didn't come back. Uh, yeah, it and it kind of ties in also with um, just the different ways that you might have people look at a really sophisticated artificial intelligence like that. Um, I don't know if you guys have seen the movie Her that's in theaters right now. It's Oscar nominated. It's great. But, you know, it, it just kind of could raise that question of if it is so much like a real person that you can't tell the difference, 
does that is there really a difference but then you have characters like Haxor who can actually go in there and see the lines of code and know that hey if I delete this one line then they don't remember the color orange and so from their their point of view it, it really they really are just a complex software program um and so he wouldn't even think anything of it and as he demonstrates one of the other things especially it was right there in that scene is like where um Casey becomes a drug dealer that was really funny. That was really funny. <laughs> hey, sorry. We're just saying I'm back. I want to thank you guys so very much for all your patience with me tonight and all the mess I'm dealing with up here. Don't think oh, no us problem. yet. We weren't that patient. Right on. <laughs> Wait until you hear what we said about you. No problem. Yeah, so, but, but what, what Brom was saying, I loved how – I don't remember what caused it. I think it was – uh, Casey arguing with uh, Haxor about, you know, hey, this wasn't the deal. You know, we, we, you said you weren't going to do anything that could damage the computer. And she was just like, oh, yeah, we'll take this. And, you know, she spits on him. And then he starts being like, ah. And he's like all getting like, you know, higher drunk from her saliva. And that was that was really funny. Yes, that was hilarious. That uh, I think my favorite, uh, maybe my favorite scene like that in the whole book was... um. What are these tentacly things? Tentacles. Yeah, I I I think the 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 um saliva works as a drug thing. I part of that was it came just from it doesn't plot mind, necessity. <laughs> well, it just was just plot necessity at at some point because I kind of realized I had slightly written myself into a corner with like, oh, well, how does does she just go ahead and pay? That seems a little bit unsatisfying. Um, so what's something that can allow her to l get one up, but without her necessarily having planned it all along? And so it worked as that, and it also helped as far as tying things back. But I think there are – there. I will confess that this – a lot of elements of this story do hinge a little bit on uh, deus ex machina type – uh, events, but I I hope that just having them be funny is enough to kind of make up for that a little. Yeah, and and again, it gave the opportunity to show Casey like thinking on her feet. She was like, "Oh, hey, wait a minute! All right, I'm going to give you half of what we agreed on, and I'll give you 15 minutes of what I can fill up this bottle with of my saliva." And you know, Hacksaw was like, "Deal." I will con confess, I I always laugh at just the thought of her spending 15 minutes spitting into a jar. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Oh, your mouth is getting all dry, and he's complaining. Is that all you can do? Now you're just faking it. So I, I take it we've done the uh, beverage reviews. Yeah, do you have one? I do. I have a great one. A buddy of mine uh, picked it up special at a special beer supply store that had some craft brews. Um, it is Harvestoon Old Engine Oil Black Ale, a product of Scotland. And uh, the label says viscous, chocolatey, and roasty. And that's correct on all three accounts. It does pour slightly slower than a regular beer. Uh, it's not like thick, thick, like old engine oil would have you believe. But um, it doesn't pass light if I hold it up to the, if I hold the glass up to the light, no light comes through it. So it is that dark. And it's, um, it's very nice. It's smooth. It's uh, sweet on the front end, bitter on the back end. Um, it's got uh, very little um, uh, carbonation to it, uh, at least that bubbles through. I can I can taste and feel carbonation, but there's almost no head on the thing, and whatever head there was disappeared pretty quickly. Um, 
but it's it's just really really nice if if uh, if you like a black ale or a stout or a, a porter it's uh it's it's in that category but it's a little little hoppier um than a, a typical stout or porter would be now when you say black ale it's not like it's not at all any like black licorice hint to it is there no i'm not no i'm not detecting any black licorice i i think when they say black ale they're talking about the color of the thing it is it is dark 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 yeah because why well, I, I fell for that once there's a, a company southern tier that makes really good uh a really good chocolate stout a really good milk stout and i saw they, they had this black ale and i was like Ooh, I'm, I'm gonna try that and nowhere on the bottle it said anything it mentioned anything about like black licorice and i do not like black licorice at all i opened it up and i smelled it and i was like uh-oh and i took a sip and i was like Ugh! And I was like, this feels wrong, but whoop, dumped it out. I was like, I, I just can't stand black licorice. So now when I hear black ale, I'm like, uh-oh, be careful. Oh, that's weird. I've never heard of a black licorice-flavored beer. Um, See, now I want to just go a little bit chemistry geek on you, and I'm wondering if the lessened head and uh, carbonation is partly due to increased viscosity. Like, So how thick is it? Like... Is it like Italian dressing thick, or is it is more liquidy still than that? Um, it's more okay. Well, if it's probably a quarter to half the way from water to Italian dressing, closer to water still. Hmm, but it, interesting. Yeah, but it is noticeably more viscous than water. Just not quite as much as like a, you know an oil and vinegar mix like Italian dressing would be doesn't feel more viscous it just looked at when i was pouring it and that that could be just the color maybe it isn't this more viscous maybe i'm fooled by the color of it we need a special uh analytical instrument to uh test it yeah a piece of flat glass is, is what you use to test viscosity you put a drop on the glass and then uh hold it vertically and you time it over a distance uh see i was going fancier than that but that's partly because i work in the uh, pharmaceutical industry but yeah that'd do it Oh, right on. Yeah, I've never heard of any other way to test viscosity, but I grew up in the automotive industry, so we, you know, oil was as close as we had to get. Well, you, there are instruments that essentially it's kind of like uh, it, you, you stir it and test how, how much force is needed to stir it at what speed. Oh, cool. Okay, and anyway. Okay. And I, I just realized I didn't say anything about the smell. Let me, let me take a good whiff of this real quick. Your, your mic. I'm sorry? Eat my mic? No, I said mute your mic. Like, I don't want to hear you inhaling like you're doing coke on on the table or something. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, no, I don't do that. I have a properly shaped glass. I just have to stick my nose in it and get a little whiff. Wafting motion. Yeah, exactly. No, it, it smells like a nice beer. It smells pretty hoppy, and it, it actually has a little bit of a floral smell to it, a little bit of, like, flower pollen smell, but not too much. Yeah, and it's a high quality. I give this one a, uh, and it's got a nice clean finish. The the bitter aftertaste seems to only be on the back of the tongue. It finishes clean everywhere else. It almost, it almost washes off the side of the tongue like water would, you know, to 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 be a kind of a palate cleanser. But no, it's really nice. All right, back to the book. I'm done. Thanks, guys. Where were we? We left off at uh, you know, Casey becoming a drug dealer. Well, she gets out of it again by the end. You know, too many people get hurt. Exactly. <laughs> now, all right. So from Casey being a drug dealer to Casey being a con artist, 
I wanted to ask you, have you talked about that yet? Her her con artistness? Yeah. Con- well, we talked a little bit about some of the cons she does, but not as much about her as like how it affects her character. Well, yeah, no, it's it's there was one particular thing in the, like the for I believe it's chapter 1, might have been chapter 2, but really early on where you know, Casey says all you've got to do is give them that one moment to hope that something might just be possible. Um did you come up with that? Was that research? Are you that devious? Like, how did that line happen? Because that really hooked me. Well, I am definitely a fan of con artist characters, which I hasten to distinguish from actual real con artists who are kind of awful people. But um, con artist stories are really awesome. I, I'm a big fan of them in general. And so I've I've done a lot of reading just about, like, classic cons and just con artist stories in general that I, I enjoy and including reading about real con artists. But the, the, when I, when I clarify, you know, con artist stories, which are all kind of have the con artist being sort of the lovable rogue a lot of the time. Uh, but the, the problem is if you think about it, being a con artist is worse in some ways than really just mugging someone if you think about it because it's scarier in the moment to to mug someone um you know like stick them up with a a gun or a knife but to prey on someone's trust and hope in a malicious way or at least a selfish way is really kind of a dark thing and so part of what i wanted to do with with casey is is not like not go full dark because I wanted some of the fun of a con artist story, but just to also really think about what kind of person decides that that's what they want to do with their life and how they want to live. Um, and, and so it's important, I think, although I, I, I think anyone can enjoy the story without getting into this too much, but when Casey is doing those monologues at the beginning and end, in my mind, she's really often talking to herself as much as to anyone else. It's like she's trying to rationalize how she feels about all the stuff she does. Oh, I totally got that. That she was, uh, I, well, I don't know if I felt that she was rationalizing it, but maybe, maybe, um, bloviating on her rationalization, <laughs> you know, and like it felt, it felt like she already had it figured out. But she was trying to reinforce her own um, her own disposition of being okay with it. Yeah, there's a little bit of uh, bloviating there too. Um, you know, she's kind of in love with the sound of her own voice uh, from time to time. Um, but yeah, as far as uh, the the specific wording there, I mean, it's it's certainly based on what real con artists do because the the thing is that often. A con, if you looked at it in just pure, cold, rational terms, becomes pretty obvious right away that it's not going to be a good deal. Um, it's only works because you are able to, you know, it, it's like, why do people buy lottery tickets? You know, you could say on one hand, they don't have a good understanding of statistics, but it's also just because just the the idea just thinking about oh if i won how great would that be what would i buy with it 
people are so in love with just thinking about that, that they're willing to spend money, might as well just be throwing it in the street um, to buy, you know, and so lots of con artists, what they do is they really capitalize on that. They try to give people this, this fantasy that they can dream about that really uh, blinds them to the, the more obvious flaws in whatever the uh, proposal is. And then car stew just expenses it, which I thought was freaking hilarious. I, I laughed out loud at that one. I, I was a fan of that too. I, I, I think I, that was one of the ones that I wasn't sure if everybody kind of fully got that, you know, just, you know, when I think back on it, I, should I have made it more clear? Did it work? But part of that, uh, as I was, I actually discussed that a little bit earlier was just the idea that I kind of wanted the, the two salvage uh, miners to not, I, I, I wanted them to end the story not having actually gotten scammed out of 25,000 credits. Yeah, that was a nice, you know, bonus. So I didn't feel too bad about them, the, the I don't know, the, I don't know which one was the female and which was the male, but the female voice, I didn't feel bad about her losing the credit. She was kind of mean. Well, you know, it's funny you mentioned the uh, the genders there just because uh, not even just with them, but kind of throughout, I deliberately was sort of playing around with uh, uh, the gender. Not only, you know, at one point Casey is disguised as a, as a male alien, but also you, you may have realized that um, when she's interacting with other aliens that uh, that think that know she's a human, they frequently refer to her with the uh, the male pronoun just because you know it's it's like when you see a dog and you don't bend down to look between their legs, you might just default to say, oh, you know, what's his name or whatever. And so I was kind of going this for the same thing there. But then with uh, Floxer and Plesta, the two there, I deliberately gave the after you got me pregnant line to. Um, to the male voice actor. Yeah, that worked very, very well, I thought. Okay, and did you, did you guys, while I was away, did you discuss uh, Casey's uh, gender role switch at any point? No, we didn't cover that. No, not yet. I was going to say that I, I actually kind of nicknamed those two in my head the starfishes because of that line. Nice. I like that. All right, do either of you have anything to say about Casey's gender reversal? I I just have one last thing about you know Casey's like cons or whatever. It's it's just kind of funny that, I mean I guess she continued her conning ways as she got into trouble. You know from the from the outset. You know the whole reason why she even got into the trouble she was in was because of the way the book opened. She the you know she was pulling a con, and that's what even got her into all this trouble in the beginning. And she just kind of kept riding that wave to, you know, get her back home. I guess. But you know it's it's her cons that are what even got her in trouble in the first place. Well, and the thing is, too, that, you know, for all the energy she expends trying to get home at the end, like, she was running away at the beginning, is what she was doing. She was stealing a ship so that she could get off the station because she wanted to leave. Yeah, and then once then she was out, she's like, oh, never mind, I want to go back home. Yeah, Casey doesn't really know what she wants. That's part of her her problem at, at when it gets to the core of it. That might be what gives it such a young adult feel to it that she's just combative and you know disobedient any opportunity she gets regardless of of you know she she ran away then she wants to go home then when somebody tries to help her get home she breaks out of prison to steal al back she, she just you know is is disobedient no matter what that maybe that's what it was it's a little bit of a rebel without a cause there 
Yeah, yeah, rebellious. That's the word I was fishing for. Um, yeah, actually, as as I've been working on uh, the the second season, which you know is a long time coming, but actually in production now, um, I I kind of explored that further, just in terms of um, what is it at the core that she really wants, and is it necessarily even in the same sphere as what she thinks she's supposed to want. Wow, that's weird that as the author, you're hunting for that, because to me it seemed obvious. She just wants her way. Well, she she does, but the the problem is that at a certain point, you can just go off by yourself and no one will bother you, but that's not really what she wants either. Right, right, right. She She just wants to have her way. She wants life on her terms. And, you know, part of part of her justification for being a con artist always seems to be, well, the universe gave me gave me these cards to play. She said a couple of times, dealt me this hand. I am playing them the way that I feel they need to be played. That's that's you play a game of cards on your terms. It, it just seemed like that, like everyone she met, she wanted to have it her way. And uh, that that seemed pretty consistent. Well, I think maybe the the difference though is just um when like we talked before about people imagining what they would do if they won the lottery. I I feel like if Casey won the lottery, she wouldn't know. She doesn't know what she would want to do. Yeah, maybe. That's that's uh here I'm arguing with the author, <laughs> maybe. Well, no, that's 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 completely fair because uh you know, it's that whole um, you know, death of the author idea just that once a story gets out there, it's not always, uh, you know, people will interpret it differently than the author intended, and that's not wrong. How does that feel? Well, it's it's kind of interesting. It just, you know, I, I t- try to take it as a compliment in the sense of knowing that, uh, um, you know, I've created something that uh, inspires people to think about it beyond what's just there in the in the in the text or the audio so to speak but again it's like we're not even necessarily completely disagreeing i'm not saying it's like well that's not what i intended it's more that it's it's you know it's complex and you know there's there's not it's not just a simple one answer yeah and that's when you say complex that's a an interesting word because the book did not feel complex the story felt simple and easy to follow but the characters did feel complex so i that's kind of neat i hadn't thought of that quite that way until you just used that word made me think of that well it's also true that um a lot of the 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 more nuanced parts of the character development are definitely given a backseat you know to the just adventure part of the story yeah sure yeah i wanted to actually jump to the ending for a second um i'm not going to say i didn't like it but it was sort of I don't really see how she got to – and maybe that was the point to just you know where she was at the end where Feebo meets her to um, the bar. And it's like how did you get here? Is this just a story you're weaving or does this actually happen? I think maybe it was meant to be a little ambiguous. That's kind of how I took it. Like maybe this happened. Maybe she's making it up. Yeah, I had the same question. Is the story true? Well, that is a good question. It does seem to be a story that she's telling the bartender in order to get – out of her tab. Yeah, for sure. Well, so that that's the thing is that it is intended to be a little bit ambiguous um in that sense. What I like to think is that by and large it's true, but Casey is also just kind of a 
a, a storyteller by nature. And so um, it, she will often tailor things to the listener, um, even if for the most part, it's true. But um, just the the idea of leaving this this bar that she's at and who's this bartender and where is this and how long after um, all the events of the story is this taking place, I definitely left all that vague on purpose. You know, until you just said that, it never occurred to me that where is this could be a question, that the bartender wasn't human. Well, maybe he is and maybe he's not. <laughs> I mean, not- you can go from the audio cues that it doesn't really seem like it because as – we, when you were out plowing uh, Pokey, we had a discussion about some of the technical pieces where alien voices were meant to sound a bit alien. So, I mean, you can you can claim that, but you kind of did paint yourself in a corner from a technical perspective where the bartender sounds human. I look forward to hearing that part of the conversation because I was going to ask if no one else – I was going to bring it up if no one else did. It was excellent technically. Uh, thank you. Um, you know, I I wasn't – trying to make it like a, it's not like it was supposed to be a total mystery but i was just leaving the the specifics as far as the nature of the bartender and um you know i think part of that was really just this idea that it almost doesn't matter you know what i mean it's like yeah. she would be telling the same story the same way whether it's a human bartender or an alien bartender on a different planet let me ask and this is a question for everybody else here everyone here is it just me or is mystery funny? Is it funny when you leave something like that unanswered? Like, is this guy human or isn't he? I thought that, like, that kind of thing makes me chuckle. Um, though I didn't think of that particular one at that point. But even, like, um, to, to give a pretty famous example, the end of the movie Lock, Stock, and Two Smoking Barrels, I thought that was hilarious. My wife can't stand it. It pisses her off every time I turn that movie on. I actually don't remember the end of that. Oh, I can't, can't spoil that. That wasn't assigned. Uh, well, <laughs> but um, I don't know. I, I think it can be, um, you know, there are, there are certainly some examples of stories that end ambiguously where I don't know that I would call it funny, but um, at the same time, I, I think it can be. And I kind of wanted it to feel a little bit that way here, not necessarily in that element being funny in and of itself, but also just the idea that, oh, this whole story was really just a, a way to try to get out of a bar tab and it un- was unsuccessful in that aim. Yeah. Yeah. That was good. Brom, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, I can see how that would work. It's sort of like though, like this is a really detailed story. This is not the kind, I mean, she must be really desperate to get out of this bar tab. If she's spinning like a, you know, the story that that's spent the last 10 volumes, you know, it's like, like nobody gets into a story this deep unless they're desperate. And it, that 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 did help with it. It's like oh, it's like this. There was a. It was kind of a dissatisfaction, is what I was feeling. It it did make some sense though. Like she would spin this crazy tall tale, and it's like, well, you know, Casey didn't really learn anything from this. But if she didn't go through it, then it didn't really matter too much. So it was. I don't know. I ended up having like a two minds or a split. Like oh, it could have gone this way, or it could have gone that way, and having to consider each one independently. See, now that's what I thought was so funny about it was no matter what, whether she made the story up, that was funny to me. If she made this whole story up to get out of a bar tab, that was humorous. If she didn't, if it was a true story, if she went through all this, the first, basically the first person that time travel ever happened to, the first human to get all this stuff is true, and she still winds up in a bar and can't pay for her own drink, that's funny to me too. I I don't know. I, I laughed both ways. 
I I think it's it's fair that um, uh, the the ending. Basically, what happens as far as her personal arc is that she comes really, really close to some serious personal growth and then is basically let off the hook at the last minute by a total deus ex machina. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yep. Which would explain her having to, you know, weasel her way out of a bar tab in either case. Um, I think, okay, I... I was going to say something, and now it's totally gone. I shouldn't have pushed the key. Oh, I hate when that happens. I do it all the time. Um, but I, I guess uh, one one thing, though, the, the framing device, um, again, I, I don't want to talk too much about Space Casey 2 just because uh, fans of mine have been bugging me for it for years. I mean, the original Space Casey came out in 2007, and so season two has been a long time coming. Um, I'm hoping for like a like a Balticon Memorial Day ish premiere, but um, the framing device in that one is a little bit more clear in the sense that basically the whole idea in that one is that she is testifying now in the trial of the old ones, and so the story she's telling is in that context. Oh, cool! By the way, I'm available for voice work, as, as I said before. Oh, <laughs> Well, I do. I do have actually several more small roles to uh, that I still need lines for. So I think that could probably be made to happen. Well, then my audio quality on this recording is my uh, application, I guess. Are you going to do the owl squee? Because we could use more owl squee. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Even though it hurt your ears. I can take my headphones off for a second. Right on. Um, okay, so Casey's gender role. When she found out that she had been role reversed, you know, she was all about get me out of this body, get me back into my own body. And then she found out that her gender had been changed. She's like, well, give me a minute. I found that the most relatable moment in the whole story. The most in the whole story? Well, but no, I'm I'm kind of kidding. I I cuz I think that's that's true. I mean, it's one thing to say something is just weird and she's maybe not that interested in just weird, but when there isn't that additional angle to it, yeah, there's there's some curiosity there. And and the thing is too that she is um she's not really like a prude, you know? She's uh Oh, for sure. Cuz when the government official propositions her, I mean, She's reluctant because he's a giant, gross, slimy blob, not because she would otherwise not be into it. But even still, she's planning to psych herself up and do it. little tequila. But yeah, no, I mean, I, you know, I, I, I won't say often, but often enough, I have wondered, what does this feel like to the opposite gender? What exactly are they feeling? I know what I'm feeling and I suspect it's not identical. So yeah, I've, I've wondered that many times. And when she got the chance to figure it out, I was a little jealous. Well, and plus she had all the sensory clusters and tentacles to go to go with it. I hadn't even considered that. Mm, tentacles. I mean, seriously though. I mean, I think anybody, everybody feels that way. So it's, it's kind of a, uh, I, I, it is something that really just seemed it, you know, I, I had it happen because it was funny, but that she would want an extra minute to consider it uh, just felt like, well, obviously she would. I'm glad it's obvious. I'm, gl- I'm glad I'm not the only one. Oh, yeah, you're not alone. We're just going to let you we're just going to let you stew on the pot for a little bit because that's funny. 
But yeah, I mean, it's sort of like everyone, it's like, ooh, I, you know, a lot of people want this opportunity. And it's like, I've got it for a second, you know, I'm like, like, hold on, let, let me, let me feel this out just to get my own curiosity out of the way. And, and that was funny. Well, and, and like I was saying earlier too, I think just, I, I wanted there to be a little bit of a sense of slightly more fluidity um, in that sort of thing in general, you know, just the, this sort of the swapping of the roles with the, the two minors and just the fact that uh, um, all the other aliens tend to call Casey by the uh, male pronoun. And even, even her name, you know, Casey is often considered a male name. Um, although I can't say that I named her that because of that idea. I mean, you know, she's named Casey because the, the title is Space Casey. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's the alliteration. That was yeah, it was a good choice. And my and I'll say my guilty pleasure of the book. The thing that I I laugh at again. I've listened four times, and every time I know it's coming, and I laugh at it every time is when Stripeen slimes her and just won't stop sliming her. Um, that one was a lot of fun, uh, too. Just the, I mean, I loved just the idea that um, it's basically an alien face hugger, right? Only like as a pet that everyone else thinks is cute. Um, but at the same time that there are aspects of, of Stripey that are kind of good as a pet, it's just he's also kind of, gross looking and sprays foul selling, smelling slime everywhere and chews on system cables. <laughs> it's just kind of, uh, uh, it's like everything that you would not want in a pet, except that he's also kind of nice. Yeah. I, I mean, I'm sitting here with one of my cats howling at my door cause she wants to come in. It's like, yeah, it's that sort of thing. They want your attention. They want this. And so Casey's like, you know, I didn't really sign up for this. And it's like, oh, yeah, it, I almost wonder, though, did Al get her stuck in the tube deliberately or was that just something that happened and then, like, you know, the, the lube gets her out as a happy accident? And that's not really something that needs to be answered. It was just more of a rhetorical, like, gee, I wonder what this was all about. Like, Al was, was Al trying to make her make friends or, you know, and, and you can overthink that a bit, too. But it was it was it was just really interesting. That, like, oh, yeah, getting slimed repeatedly actually was helpful. Um, I, I tend to think, and I, again, like this is not necessarily the definitive answer, but in my mind, at least Al at that point was not, you know, like it was too early in their relationship for him to have anything like ulterior motives in that sense. So I think he's being pretty straight up with her in the sense of, uh, you know, he's going to go chew on some system cables and we really can't have that. What There's not going to be anything we can do about it. That said, he certainly has an emotional investment in wanting Casey and Stripey to get along. I thought Al was way, way too naive and even innocent at this point to be devious. But above innocence, even if he wasn't, he's just too naive. That's true. I, you know, I, I had thought about it. It was more along the lines of like, you could have taken it this way. It didn't really seem like it, but it just kind of, it, it's sort of like where you have two paths and they both end up being the same result. Well, it's also, you know, comes down to his lack of understanding of uh, human physiology because he is, he's genuinely perplexed when she gets stuck and he, and she, he just says, well, collapse your rib cage and slide out. Like, what's the problem? And and speaking of Al, where where did he get his um? I, I don't I don't I don't remember this in the book, but where did you know where did his fashion sense come from? Um, that really it kind of I was just trying to think of some 
something that would be strange because a lot of the initial ideas of of things that were happening in the story really just came from I want something weird for Casey to have to respond to. And so that was kind of the initial idea is like, what is like the weirdest possible thing that like an artificial intelligence that runs a spaceship to be interested in. And I actually, um, it, it, it started off a little bit more like, like a, a fetishy sort of thing, not in like fetish gear, but just the idea that like he would like to wear clothes somehow, like almost like it's a cross-dressing thing. Oh, okay. Um, so that oh, was kind of... I didn't catch... That's, that's brilliant. I didn't catch that. Well, it kind of evolved from that to not really be about that, but that was at least part of the original idea. But then eventually I just... I just Once it kind of uh, occurred to me, I realized that uh, there were there were several ways that I could make that work with the rest of the story that I enjoyed. For example, the idea that uh, Casey would be, you know, uh, able to work as a model with him. And it also just, it you know, it gave him something else to do. Regardless, it's a brilliant place to start. It's a great platform, no matter how he turned out. It's, you know what I mean? It's a good starting point. Um, I, you know. One of the the great pleasures of doing this kind of a format as opposed to like a more straight read of an audio book is, although it's certainly a lot more work to deal with all the different voice actors, sometimes they really bring things to uh, the character in in ways beyond what you expect. And like, for example, when Al is telling Casey about his interest in fashion design and he's just so – hesitant to even let her know he's just so vulnerable there and he's like you don't think it's weird you know it just breaks my heart for for Al there i was gonna say something i just forgot i'm sorry i reached for the key and it it flew right out that's all right i did it earlier but i of course at the same time like that is really i think the first real sort of bonding moment between casey and and al though just because he kind of or she kind of validates it you know, in the sense that, you know, he's he's saying, you don't think it's weird? And she tells him, of course it's weird, but she's kind of saying, but it's no weirder than all of this other stuff that I'm doing, so let's go for it. Yeah, and I can relate to the whole idea of who cares if it's weird, because if anybody cared if I was weird, I wouldn't even be here. My wife is standing over my shoulder smirking at me, because she believes that's true as well. You're weird, Pokey. But uh, see, weird, weird is not a automatically pejorative thing. No, I think normal is automatically pejorative. That's just where I come from, though. The other thing I'll say to that is it's sort of like you get that – the adventure of the ragtag band of misfits, you get that a bit. And especially as a con artist, you tend to you tend to fall in with some people who not necessarily aren't all there but are definitely out, definitely off the beaten path. Uh, yeah, one of another one of the uh, the influences. I think um, not that I was drawing any specific elements from it, but I really enjoyed is Cowboy Bebop, the anime, um, and that has a similar feel there, just in the sense of you have all of these people who are kind of kind of damaged in their own way, but each have their own skills to bring, and they all kind of become this weird little family. Yeah, I need to see more of that. I only have the first episode. Uh, I only have the first session on DVD. I need to get the rest of them to finally see that. Oh, it's pretty great, and one of the, it's just uh, the fact that it's complete and not that long makes it a, a good watch. Also, I should also point out that the reason I have a corgi is because of Ayn the corgi from Cowboy Bebop. I've been avoiding watching that, but I guess I'll have to now. It's mandatory. 
Go ahead, bro. Oh, I was going to say, I do remember seeing it like in college, I think a while ago. I, I do remember specifically, there's one part in the intro where there's a bunch of waving hands, and we all used to do that in front of the projector, which was pretty funny. But it's been so long, I, I would say I've forgotten most of the plot. Yeah, I have no anime background, and I, I heard that was good, and I asked my brother about it, because he's seen a bunch of anime, but he doesn't watch them with other people. Maybe that's the difference, is he, he just sits alone and, and watches them as far as I can tell, and he said Cowboy Bebop was not a good one, so I, I you know, didn't watch it, but now I'll have to. Well, taste is subjective, of course, but I'm a little surprised just that, um, you know, like, I'm not a super anime fan or anything, but I've seen... I've seen perhaps more than average, but uh, I've always had the impression that that one is pretty widely regarded as being great. Huh, okay. Yeah, I'll check it out. A lot of it is story, too, not necessarily like art or things like that. Um, To get back on the topic, is there anything else you guys wanted to bring up? I think you guys covered everything that I would have brought up if I were here, and while I was here, I brought up everything else I would have covered. Um... Christian, is there anything we're not asking you about? Something that you, you know, think we're missing or we're especially proud of? Um, no, not really. I mean, I think, I think just to elaborate a little bit more on what I was saying in terms of the difference between doing something like this, where it's more like a radio play with the full cast of voice actors and all the effects and music and so on, versus doing something that's more like a straight read. Um, or, you know, a traditional audiobook, say, it's way, way more work. I mean, it's like an order of magnitude more work. And so I'm like, I'm proud of it, but it, it also just sort of makes me hesitant to do more that's just like it because, you know, it's, uh, it, it is just so much more effort by comparison. But um, at the same time, it really does have its own joys too because, you know, even though there's all these little nitpicks that I still have about it, you know, places where I remember, oh, I wish I had made that one effect louder in that mix or something. But um, also just the joy of finding just the right effect and placing it in just the right split second so that it works with the uh, like all of the uh, the effects of uh, Casey when she is trapped in the vent. Um, I'm really kind of proud of those because like the sheet the- metal thumping. Well, yeah, that, there's that, and then also, like, a lot of the sort of squeaks of her, like, trying to push against it. I mean, you know, I did that with my hand against a mirror with a mic nearby, so it's like um, making Ooh, my own effects. sound designer, too. Yeah, well, so I did get a lot of my effects from the Freesound Project, but I did record a bunch of them myself as well. That's excellent. I, I have a question for you on a personal level. What's your motivation for doing these? Ooh, um, it's fun. I mean, you know, that's kind of trite, but uh, I don't know. I guess I guess I'm just feel kind of like I'm just I like telling stories. And uh, one of the things that you know, so like even back from when I was a little kid, I was always writing various stories, and I also did community theater. And uh, then when I was in high school, I did uh, speech and debate, and I was uh, my category was. Uh, interpretation of humorous literature, which is a lot of uh, vocal presentation. Um, And so it just is something I enjoy. And the podcast medium really gives me this outlet to not only have the story, but I can tell it in a way that's fun for me and people actually get to hear it. 
And there's just something magical about that. And how do you feel about the reward? I mean, because I don't imagine there's a whole lot of monetary reward here, but there's heaps and heaps of love coming back at you, right? Well, yeah. I mean, you're absolutely right. It's, you know, I've I've paid way more money than I've made <laughs> um, for any of my uh, any of my podcast stuff. Um, so but that said, you know, I kind of like I'm I'm OK with that. I, you know, I, I, you know, if I became some big best-selling author or something and could quit my day job or whatever, I mean, I'm not saying I would turn that down, but I'm kind of okay with it being a hobby. And so I'm not really in it for the financial reward, but it's really more about like a way of telling a story, creating something that means something to me and then sharing it with other people. That's, that's what I'm in it for. And that's that I definitely get. That's awesome. That's awesome. And, I, and then in that uh, framework, I am pleased to say that I've, I've thoroughly enjoyed Space Casey multiple times. Thank you. Yes, I appreciated it myself. It was definitely a good read, and I, I look forward to you know hearing Space Casey too. I you know don't rush. You know these things take time, and it, uh, knowing that you're doing it for a hobby means that you know. You have to you have to do it with love. I mean, that's one of the reasons I kind of slowed down on writing music was that it was becoming more tedious than anything else. Well, you know, it is it's interesting just because uh, I've I've certainly not been rushing it. I mean, it's literally, you know, off and on. It's been something like seven years, you know, since the original came out. And I won't say that I was working exclusively on this all that time, but you know, people have been asking me about it, and there was uh, a process. You know, I mean. People I know from two and a half years ago were hearing me say, "Oh yeah, I'm getting getting to work on the script. I'm gonna I'm gonna do it." And and you know it's still not out. And I'm a little bit wary even now of really saying too much about it because it's not 100% ready yet. But it's getting close enough that I'm I'm kind of okay saying more about it again. But the having it be a hobby and finding the time to work on it, it really is a dilemma of some you you're not always going to feel like it feel like working on it enough to get anything done in a reasonable amount of time so you have to balance making yourself work on it even when you don't feel like it versus this idea of burning yourself out on it and then not wanting to do it at all anymore finding that balance is very difficult sometimes oh yeah and audio editing can be so tedious when it's in front of you i mean as rewarding as it is when it's behind you when it's in front of you, oh boy! Oh my God, yes. Um, the in in particular, the like the part where you're finding effects in music and layering them in and tweaking it, and like I I kind of like that part of it. Yes. But but the the part where you're editing out all the ums and ahs and it's like yes. oh shoot, this was the perfect line reading except you flubbed the pronunciation of the word at the end, and you try to see if you can bring in that word from another take, but it doesn't match, and then ugh. That that part's a nightmare. Yes. Yeah, you want to talk about editing the 24-hour show, Pokey? Oh, no, I did not edit. I just cut and pasted into into files. Actually, that was a 26-hour show, wasn't it? Not the one that I edited. I actually didn't edit this year's show. I did the, the, the first year, which was a, only a 12-hour uh, live podcast, uh, and the second year, which was 24-ish. Actually, wasn't this past year's like thirty six or something like that? It really just kept going and going. It it went 
very long. Yeah, I was on it probably the whole day when I woke up till about one in the morning and I just crashed. And by the time I got back up, it was over, but it was a long show. And I don't know, even know if we edited that show, it was probably just shipped raw, but I mean, you can't do that with a, an audio book. You can do that with a, a promotion like this, where it's like, you know, it's 30 hours of shows, you know? And by the way, Christiana, you're invited next new year's Eve. If you've got even five minutes to spare, pop back in this room and chat with n- nerds all around the world. I'll keep that in mind. You know, the um, the last time I tried to do anything that was even close to 24 hours, um, there's this uh, the extra life thing where you can you do try to play video games for 24 hours for charity. Um, I, I did that a few years ago and uh, discovered that it's like, gosh, it's not as easy to stay up for 24 hours as it used to be. <laughs> oh, yeah, I know what you mean. I've heard of that charity, too. Uh, one of the nerdcore rap podcasts was was talking about that a couple times that sounds like an interesting thing an interesting uh like pledge drive marathon type thing what what game did you play oh it wasn't just one game uh i couldn't do just one game for the whole time in fact i think near the end i was having to switch games like every 15 minutes because otherwise i would just i would start to uh nod off and walk off a cliff or something like that so i had to just kind of keep changing it up in order to keep my brain working. Although I think in the uh, in that context, part of the way I was doing it at the time was, although I was doing recordings and taking pictures like myself, there was really no one else in the room. So it was really just me there in the room with no one else to talk to most of the time. So it was harder there than I think if it would have been if there were other people. Yeah, for sure. I think I could play Gran Turismo for 24 hours straight. You should try it for the marathon next year. You'll find that it's more difficult than you think. <laughs> You're probably right. You're probably right. Final thoughts? Or at least my final thoughts. I have to get going here soon. Um, but, yeah, I definitely enjoyed this. Um, I am completely surprised that you were able to get to the author to show up, Pokey. That is we're glad that you're here, Christiana, but I am completely surprised you managed to do it, Pokey. <laughs> and it was um, fun to actually be able to bounce ideas off and, you know, speak to you. Because normally we do these book reviews and, you know, eventually they get back to the author. But to have her here talking with us is a really tr- a, a treat. Yeah, she set the bar high for everyone else now. Oh, yeah. And it was – we've invited all but one author Uh to the best of my recollection, we've invited all but one author on that we reviewed their books, and that's just because nobody liked that book, and we didn't oh, want to kick anybody around. What's that? We tore that book up. I remember which one you're talking about. I, I remember the beverage review came real early. Yeah, I mean, it's not that we tore it up on purpose. We were just fishing for content, and we couldn't find... It was hard to find nice things to say about a book you don't like. Well, yeah, I, I like to think that you guys were were more kind because I was here <laughs> than you might have been. Otherwise, you might have found more nitpicks or something if I wasn't. But that's okay because I get to supervise you guys and make sure you didn't say bad stuff. Which is very important because I said some bad stuff on our 24-hour show and got called on it and had to do a whole separate podcast to let those guys have their say. It's easier um, this way. <laughs> Seriously though, um I you know it was a it was a treat to be invited on here and um obviously you know Space Casey's uh a podcast that I'm proud of and 
like I said, the whole motivation is I love sharing these stories with people. And so hearing um, this, this kind of feedback is really, it's like, that's the reward um, that I, I am accepting in lieu of cash. So. <laughs> Woohoo. Boy, I was just about to donate on patio books. You stopped me just before I clicked. I was going to say Casey won't like that. Sorry, go on. I think Casey maybe even would uh, appreciate accolades more than cash. Right on. Jonathan, did you have anything you wanted to finish up with? No, I, I just think it's a it's really a great book, and I highly, you know, you won't be disappointed. Go to Potty Books, download it, listen to it. It's a, it's a great book. And and I will, I should say, Brom, I really had so little to do with Christiana being here. It was pure random chance that we bumped into each other and it was Christiana's fault for being so personable that I felt I could, you know, uh, email her and say, Hey, remember me? Uh, would you, would you help us out and do this with us? So that this is all Christiana. I can't take any credit for it. Well, I, I was laughing because, um, when I got the email, I, you know, I remembered meeting you. And so I assumed that you, you were picking space Casey next because you would run into me and you thought you could get me on the podcast. But then when I looked and from two years back, you had said that this was going to be your next book. I, that was, <laughs> that was kind of funny. That was so awkward for me when we met, I was, I was, I wanted to say, Hey, we're reviewing your book, uh, for two years. I just, I, it was really, I don't know if you noticed that, but I, yeah, I didn't know how to deal with that. <laughs> well, you know, it worked out. Okay. It, it, yes. And thank you for making it, easy on me there well we had promised the book and then we just everybody sort of dropped off the face of the earth and you know we, we were like hey let's get the book back together oh hey what book should we do you know we did promise space casey well um no one had any objections so it's like let's just finish up space casey because we had promised we'll do it and it was a good book and we reviewed it and then pokey said that you that christiana ellis was going to show up and we're like "Ooh, hey it's gonna be fun See, and I think, Ed, I think that might be why the book club fell off in the first place. Is people when I suggested Space Casey, people were like, "Oh no, this is a kids book," and I think they only just saw the cover. And I got a little dejected by that. And I, I don't know, maybe I heard some more complaints before people gave it a shot. I'm really not sure, but that seemed to be what made it fall off. And then I just had a hard time deciding since everybody has left it up to me to decide you know do we do the book that i seemed like nobody wanted to do or do we pick a book that people said they wanted to do but now we've left you know anyone hanging who's a fan and you know god forbid it get back to christiana that we want her to do her book and then nobody wanted to it just it almost felt like a moral dilemma to me and i and at the same time i, I really did want to do it decisions decisions um you know it's interesting though just i guess getting the feedback that people who haven't listened maybe would think it's a kid's book. I guess that had never really occurred to me, but I think that a lot of that's just on me for not always being very aware of how I'm presenting myself. I don't maybe, but I didn't have a problem with it. <laughs> if, if my opinion counts for anything, which I'm, it doesn't, I don't pretend that it does, but you know, that's just the way I feel. I didn't have a problem with it at all. All righty. Well, I, I think being more like a kid's book, though, you know, it's interesting because I do have that script book, which very much does look like. A, sorry, I let, let my finger off the key there. It The script book does look very much like a kid's book because that's kind of supposed to be the joke is that it's supposed to look like one of those 
Transformers or My Little Pony activity books you'd buy at the grocery store when you were six, you know, that's a coloring book and has mazes and word searches and stuff in it. I mean, that was supposed to be kind of the gimmick of it, but I suppose too that if you don't actually know already that it's a joke, um, you might assume that it's sincere. Yeah, I get that. All right. Well, Christiana, um, would you do us the honor of assigning our next book if you have one uh, ready for you there? Or ready for us, I mean. Oh, man. Um, I, oh, shoot. I actually thought about this in advance and now they're all gone. Have you guys done any of uh, Nathan Lowell's? Um, not on the audiobook club. Some of the folks in our community have, have reviewed his books and actually interviewed him, which I think might have been how I found Podio Books was listening to an interview with Nathan Lowell, but we, we haven't. Well, we could just grab the, the latest one that he's posted, I guess. Would that work? No, because it's book six in a series. Ah, pity. It's funny that you mentioned him, though, because when I was um, we were talking on, on the back channel in the mail list, um, I recommended for whoever was to pick the next one, if they needed any suggestions, one of the ones I, I suggested was uh, one that he narrated, but he didn't write. So, and that was, you know, one that I thought was a good book. I liked it. And don't worry about dead air. We we can, this edits out automatically, but I can almost oh, feel Oh, sorry, you, I just... I can almost I, feel I, you scrolling through patio books right now. Well, I was, and then I, I realized that I, I was, and I realized that I hadn't been pressing the key, so I was actually talking there for a bit. Um, but uh, how about South Coast? That's one that's actually in the same universe as his... Um, as his Ishmael Wong series, but it's uh, it's a separate standalone story, and uh, I really really enjoyed that one. Uh, so that's how about that? That's my recommendation. You got it. Is that on Patio Books? Uh, it was when I listened to it. I don't think it's been removed. Uh, Shaman Tales One South Coast. Yes, that's it. Okay, found it. Yeah, so that's our next book, Shaman Tales One South Coast, and that's right. He renamed all of his books. Uh, at one point, so it used to just be South Coast, but right now it's Shaman Tales. Yeah, it's a it's a great story about all sorts of things, like um, you know the the meaning of art and the aesthetics of art, uh, living up to parental expectations, um, and then also just um, it's one of the very rare stories where there's a corporation that's not evil. Yeah, yeah, it's. Um... There's a lot of honesty and hard work portrayed as, um, you know, positive things. Yep. So I, I really enjoyed that book. Uh, I'm, I, I bet those of you who haven't yet listened will also like it. Yeah, we definitely will. And it's, and it's got that classic Nathan Lowell style and pace that, um, I don't know, it seems like 99 out of 100 people love it. And that one person just seems to absolutely hate it and he's a weirdo and don't worry about him well you know it is interesting just in the sense that his ishmael long series in particular it's kind of amazing how compelling it ends up being given that if you were to just describe the plot to someone it sounds like it has no conflict at all so this guy um, just makes coffee <laughs> yeah pretty much local boy makes good it's pretty much the whole story um, but then uh, South Coast is uh, is a little bit more of a traditional kind of story in in that sense, meaning there's a little bit more 
um, internal conflict as opposed to just, hey, let's follow this guy as he learns how to do new things. But uh, even still, it definitely has his his style and uh, his that that same feel. Yeah, excellent. Thank you so much um, for doing this with us. Um, we'll we'll definitely be reviewing that book next time we get together, which um, I'm not quite sure when that's going to be. Uh, we did have one request that the next time we get together, we'd make it an hour later um, because uh, Double N Dan, Dan Washko, can't make it at six o'clock. And he is he is fantastic to have on these shows. Um, but maybe maybe we could set it for, I don't know, maybe a month from now or roughly thereabouts. Tuesday night seemed to get a lot of responses. But um, you're more than welcome to join us anytime you want, Christiana. Oh, I, awesome. I ask- Thank you. I keep forgetting to press the key. <laughs> That's okay. I won't ask you to commit to anything again, but yeah, I will definitely uh, keep you in the loop if you're interested in being in the loop or uh, for anybody who's listening, who is interested in joining us, just join the Hacker Public Radio mailing list um, and you'll get all the updates. We, we try to put everything there anytime we are, you know, batting around potential dates and times, um, you know, and the only, the only prerequisite is that you get mumble working and that you've listened to the audiobook and you bring a beverage to review and, uh, you heard what's about. We had fun here, and we try to every time. All right, and with that, I'm out. Thank you, everybody. Oh, thank you as well, and thanks, everyone, for listening and everyone who was on the show tonight. Thank you. Thank you. And good night. You have been listening to Hacker Public Radio at hackerpublicradio.org. We are a community podcast network that releases shows every weekday, Monday through Friday. Today's show, like all our shows, was contributed by a HBR listener like yourself. If you ever considered recording a podcast, then visit our website to find out how easy it really is. Hacker Public Radio was founded by the Digital Dog Pound and the Infonomicon Computer Club. HBR is funded by the Binary Revolution at binrev.com. All Binrev projects are proudly sponsored by Lunar Pages. From shared hosting to custom private clouds, go to lunarpages.com for all your hosting needs. Unless otherwise stated, today's show is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Share Alike 3.0 license. I really like your show. I'm a fan.